Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 14. We're going to talk about when that every knee shall bow. And as you're turning there, I want to talk about the word receive because I like this word. I looked it up in the Greek. It talks about, it suggests a welcome. Or in Hawaii we say, e como mai. Welcome. We want you here. And, and it's a welcome that it signifies a special interest on the part of the, the person receiving. So I want you here because I'm especially interested in you. Now, when, when my family, you know my dad was FBI. We moved around a lot. When we moved, I, I'd always think ahead and go, okay, are the kids in the next school going to like me? Are they going to receive me? And, 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 and so when we moved from Miami to Bowie, Maryland, because he was going to be in D.C., uh, here I am in, in uh, sixth grade and wondering, okay, are they, they going to like me? Will, they, uh, will I be welcomed? And, and for the first time in my life, I, I wasn't. I wasn't welcomed. I thought, what is this? Don't they know how groovy I am and, and how cool? And then one day, this guy named Jim, Jim Batchelor borrowed my bike. I, in Florida, I, had, I dug a bike out of the trash, someone's trash, and they said, yeah, take it. And I fixed it up with the banana seat and the high handlebars, you know, made it look really cool. And so when I was in Maryland, it was like a new thing, and Jim Batchelor wanted to try out this new bike. So he rides it all around the playground, and he comes back, and he says this, Mike, you're a pretty cool kid, but you need to dress collegiate. I had no clue what he's talking about. He said, look, in here, in Maryland, if you wear a red shirt, collegiate is wear red socks. Blue shirt, blue socks. But never, ever wear white socks. Well, in Florida, all we wore was white socks. And he goes, if you want to be accepted, wear collegiate. So I go home, Mom, we're going shopping. And guess what? When I, the next day, blue shirt, blue socks, I was accepted. I was received. We like this word to be received. Matter of fact, God wants us to receive him. In, in John chapter 1, it says this, verses 11 and 12. He, meaning Jesus, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We want God to receive us. So in Psalm 49, it says, but God will redeem my soul. He'll redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. And I want God to receive me. And Jesus promised to receive you. He said, uh, he said this in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's called the sovereignty of God. And the one who comes to me, that's my responsibility, I will by no means cast out. He guarantees, you come to Jesus this morning, he guarantees he will receive you. He'll accept you. The Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Now, the thing about this morning, it's not God receiving me, it's not me receiving God, it's me receiving you. You receiving me, receiving one another. So in Romans 15, which we'll get to in a few weeks, it says, therefore, receive one another. Look at the, the standard. Just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So that's what we're talking about this morning is receiving one another. We've got it in three parts. The first part is, <laughs> I've never taught on that. Receive the vegetarian. All right, so I'm reading from the New King James Bible. We're in 
Romans chapter 14, verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith. But not to disputes over doubtful things, meaning don't major in the minors. Don't make an issue of these things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let none, and don't go around, you weaky, you weak. That's not the idea here either. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you? Boy, does this jump out. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he'll stand or fall. Indeed, he will be made to stand. Notice this, for God is able to make him stand. Let's pray. Lord, we know this is important. It's in your word. And it might be a spot that's, that's, uh, that you want to highlight in our lives today. Being judgmental. Trying to get people to jump through hoops that you didn't put there. So Lord, speak to us. We present you a heart of love. May we have minds of understandings and bodies that are ready to apply your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Vegetarian, okay, the Jews of that day, this 2,000 years ago, those Jews of that time had two main problems with eating meat. Number one was the dietary laws of Moses. That means Moses in Leviticus 11 received from God, this is what you can eat, this is what you cannot eat. If it's meat, it has to have two requirements. The, the hooves have to, have to be cloven like a cow, and you have to regurgitate their food and chew the cud. So a cow is good. A rabbit is no good. A camel is no good. And as far as fish, they had to have fins and scales. So you couldn't eat uh, an eel. You couldn't eat shrimp or lobster. And, and these are the dietary laws in, in uh, Leviticus 11. Uh, you couldn't eat pig. Big one. Big one. No bacon. So the second one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is now where believers are, are, they see someone coming out of a marketplace of an idol. And they're going, dude, did you just buy meat sacrificed to Diana? What are you doing? That's sacrificed to an idol. And the other guy's going, I don't care. It's better meat and it's a better price. You know, better for me. And so there's two struggles, these two mind games that were going on. Now, I had a friend when I we were seniors in high school, and we're going in, we're having a big breakfast one morning, a bunch of our guys, just ready to go off to college. And we're having bacon and eggs. And my friend is a Jew, Mark Gross. And he goes, what's that smell? And I go, dude, you've never smelled bacon? I mean, he really had never smelled bacon. To me, half the commercials on TV are about bacon. So how, did you wonder what it smelled like? And, he is a senior in high school. What's that smell? And you're saying to this guy who grew up his entire life, you can't eat bacon if he becomes a Christian. Now it's okay to eat bacon. He goes, now wait a minute. All my life I thought this was wrong. And now I'm supposed to just put on some switch and, and now it's okay? He said, no. That is how it is as a Christian. But here his conscience would be weak. It would even taste funny because, no, I... I grew up 
for thousands of years, those Jews have never, never eaten this stuff. So I don't want to offend this weak conscience of someone else. All right? This is how it works. <laughs> I guess a lot of stuff happened in my senior year. So in my senior year again, I, I, you know, I bought this GTO. First thing I did was blow the clutch. We put a new clutch, then I blew the engine. I mean, it was just one of those cars, but to blow the clutch, my friend said, come over my house. We have a pit so you can drive over it. And it was this big, you know, like a room below it where you can work on the car underneath it. And <laughs> it took us all night to replace the clutch, which is klutzy. But uh, partway through it, his dad comes out. His dad's a veterinarian. And I don't know, 11, 12 at night, he comes out with, with some uh, roast beef sandwiches. And he serves us frozen. And we're all like, oh, thank you, thank you. And he's watching us eat. And he goes, hey, so how's, how's the food? I go, oh, this is great. And then he says, it's dog. I looked at my weak conscience, said, ooh, just like half of you just said, ooh. Like, I get it. Some people love this. I don't. I couldn't eat anymore because my conscience was going, oh, it tastes funny. That's how the Jew would be with bacon. Oh, it tastes funny. It's offensive to my conscience because all my life I was told this was wrong, and now you're saying it's okay. And so I did not eat the rest of the dog. I think, and I told the guy, your dad is weird, man. That, that was strange that you did that. Now, so the idea is I don't come here to try to convince you to live like me to try and convince you, I eat meat, therefore you must eat meat. Or I, I'm a veggie, so you must be a veggie. He said, no, no, no. Again, that's majoring in the minors. That's, he goes, why would you do that? Why, why would you fight about like that? So Karen and I invited a vegan over for dinner. Uh, this is a few weeks ago. Uh, after church, right over underneath that basketball hoop, uh, starting to share with a, uh, some girl, brought a guy. And I start sharing with the girl's saved, the guy's not. And uh, after a while, I just said, hey, so what's, what's keeping you back from accepting Christ right now? He goes, nothing. Let's do it. He prays to accept the Lord. Right under that, I don't know, something about that basketball hoop right there. And he prays to receive And I told Karen, well, let's have him over for dinner. You know, let's, let's follow up on this. And, and so she, we go, okay, I, I know she's a vegan. You have to understand for me, this is just my, vegan is like a curse word. You, <laughs> no, you don't, don't do that. But, but we'll, do, we'll make an exception. We'll do this for one night. So we go, okay, <laughs> what can you eat? <laughs> I'm going to share these texts back and forth. She's going, I can't eat this, this, and this. Okay, if you know the vegan route, you can't eat if it has a mother, whatever. So no fish. No chicken, no meat, no butter, no milk, <laughs> no fun. Uh, and, but then, so she's listing all this stuff. This, but literally, I'm quoting her. She goes, but other than that, I'm not picky. And I'm thinking, other than that, we don't have food. Okay? Maybe you like water. Can you take ice with that, or is that too much? I don't know. I'm not mocking. I'm just struggling. And so my wife, God bless her, comes up with pumpkin soup and 
What something else? I forget. I you forgot too. Salad, salad. So some of you are going, man, that sounds good. Others are going, and. <laughs> So they went home, and I went to McDonald's, had a Big Mac. But the thing is, I, I didn't, but I wanted to. thing is, we're not there to try and tell them, man, you need to lighten up. Hey, have some steak. I'm not trying to force that on them. If that's their personal thing, that's fine. As long as they're not saying, because I'm this, I'm righteous before God. Nope, you just crossed the line. I'm righteous only because of what Jesus Christ has done. And it would be equally wrong for them to say, it's disgusting that you're eating meat. You have to be like, no, no, no. It says, let each one be fully persuaded in his mind. So to receive, it's not that attitude, I'll receive you as long as I can change you to these gray areas that you go to the same movies I go to that you play cards or don't play cards like that, that you drink whatever beverages I do. You see, the, here Paul's going, guys, you're mi majoring in the minors. Can we get back to the things like the blood of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the soon return of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. These are the majors. These are the hills to die on. But these other things, come on. You're missing the point. The thing is, Jesus ate the Passover lamb. As a Jew, no such thing as a Jewish vegetarian in those days. They were required by law to eat the Passover lamb once a year. Then in the book of Mark, Jesus said, look, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out, and it says, thus purifying all foods. He declared all foods are fine. So... If, if it's a personal issue, that's fine. But don't come to church to try and convert everybody to see exactly your way. Here's a quote I have. I'm not here to push my trip on you, the vegetarian, to the point that you have to eat a steak, but then you, quote, sin against your conscience because you go, ah, this isn't right because that's not love. From there, we go into the second part, which is a lot shorter. But beginning in verse 5, now we're talking about the receive the Sabbath keepers. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced, fully persuaded in his own mind. Um, sorry, he who do, uh, observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he doesn't observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat, meaning meat, to the Lord he doesn't eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Can that be said of my life? Mike lives for the Lord. Do you live for the Lord? If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. Now, that's what he's saying. I'm going, all my life I've kept the Sabbath. Now, the Jewish Sabbath starts from sundown Friday evening to sundown Saturday evening. It's a Sabbath of rest. Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath, he says in the Gospels. He said, the Sabbath, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Meaning, God didn't make, okay, I'm going to make this Sabbath with a bunch of rules. 
bunch of hard things, and then I'm going to make man to fulfill the Sabbath. He goes, no, it's the other way around. I'm creating man, my special project, love. And, and I know he's prone to work too much. I'm going to create a day where he has to rest. So I'm making Sabbath for him, for her, to rest, to worship, to reflect. And yet, here the Jew goes, now wait a minute, I've kept Sabbath all my, we're going back to Moses' time, we're going back to the Ten Commandments, and now all of a sudden, you know, it's not a big deal, it's a huge deal. See, in, in Exodus 31, it says this, therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generation. Look at this, it's a perpetual covenant. So here the Jewish, the new Jewish believer who's now a Christian, and you're saying, you know, the Sabbath's not a big deal anymore? Wait a minute. It's a perpetual covenant. Do you understand why in their mind they're going, okay, I got you now. You cannot break this. It's a perpetual. So they have scriptural grounds to be stumbled by the fact, no, we meet on Sundays. We meet on Tuesday night. It's not a big deal. Whatever night we, we just gather in the name of Christ. The Jew goes, no, I have a scripture that says you cannot do that. Now, here's what it comes down to. If we're going to simplify the whole thing, there are two ways you can try to approach God, two ways you can try to become righteous before a holy, holy, holy God. The first way is the Old Testament. The second way is the New Testament. The Old Testament, by the way, besides keeping the Sabbath, there are 613 laws that you have to keep if that's how you're going to become righteous before God. 613 meaning give it up. It's not going to happen. It's to the point where you realize this is impossible. So the New Testament, the new covenant way to approach God is from grace. That Christ fulfills the law and then Christ in me I become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, does that mean, oh, so now it's okay to murder? Now it's okay to lie, to cheat? No, 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 no. no. By nature, I, now I, I want to keep those laws. But it's not that I'm going to do this so I can a, attain righteousness before God. No, in Christ, I have the righteousness of God. That's already attained. It's called grace. Now that brings us to our third point Every knee shall bow. So again, we're in Romans 14. We pick it up in verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again. So, hey guys, this is what it's all about. He has established our righteousness. To this end, Christ died and rose again and lived again. That he might be Lord of the, both the dead and the living. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, meaning all the Christians. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord. Now he's quoting from Isaiah. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or to cause to fall in our brother's way. So, now it gets interesting. That's why Christ died. That's why he died. It's called grace. Do you ever see this? It's an acronym. 
so as God's resources at Christ's expense. That's what grace is all about. So if you're guilty of judging others, if you're always going, yeah, that guy's a nice guy, but he doesn't eat the way I do. That girl's a nice girl, but she has a glass of wine, and I don't. Or, you know, he just, hey, he's saying, you know, you need to stop judging each other, all right? Because there's something else you need to be concerned about, and it's because you are going to face God. You're going to face the judgment seat of Christ. Now, some people are confused about this because you're going, wait, I'm judged? I thought my sins were already forgiven. They are. See, Christ faced the wrath of God for me, for you. He faced the judgment of God for my sins and your sins. Done. I will not be judged for my sins. I will be judged for what I did with the forgiveness of my sins. It's like God sets you up for success. I shared recently about going to college in Daytona Beach. And my mom and dad set me up for success. They paid for my college tuition. They paid for my rent. They said, Mike, you can work for your food. And, but they set me up for success. So when I go home with a report card and I dropped out of math, I didn't do good. And my parents were brainiacs. They're going, what is this? I set you up for success, and what did you do with it? I had a holy fear of my dad. Six foot three, full-blooded German. Let me know about it sometimes. And, and so I, here's what I did with what you gave me. That's the beam of seat of Christ. See, God sets you up for success. He forgives you of your sins. He cleanses your mind, your conscience. He gives you gifts of the Spirit. He gives you opp uh, opportunities. He gives you friendships. He gives you these, he says, go for it. He gives you an assignment. The beam of seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ is your spiritual report card. You take it to God and say, I know you dressed me for success. This is what I did. Some people are going to hear, well done, good and faithful. I gave you a few things and you turn into many. Others are going to hear, What's this? Yeah, I meant to get it. What is this? I set you up for success, and this is what you did. And so he's, the idea here is, listen, instead of judging everybody else, you ought to be more concerned about you're going to face God at the Bema seat and have to give an answer to Jesus Christ. But then it says, every knee shall bow. How do you picture that? So if you get the E letter, I ask the question, how do you picture every knee shall bow, every tongue confess? This is not just a figure of speech. I believe this is a reality, a literal reality. And you're going, no, wait a minute. We're dealing with people who have hardened hearts. According to Hebrews, they're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They're just shaking their fists at God. They're saying, I want nothing to do with you in my life. Get out, leave me alone. I don't even believe in you. I believe in evolution. As if that puts an end to God. How are you, you going to get one of those to confess Jesus Christ as Lord? How is the hardest hard heart going to bow the knee and say, yeah, Jesus is Lord? You see, as a Christian... I've already bowed my knee. I'll be glad to do it again. This, I have this theory of what's going to happen. Now, 
there's this Christmas movie, Hallmark Christmas movie. That's right, you're going, it's February. Get over the December stuff. Not when you live with Mrs. Santa Claus, okay? Now this movie, I did not see this, but my wife says it's cute, which is there a Hallmark Christmas movie that's not cute? But it's called I'm Not Ready for Christmas. And it's about Auntie Holly. And her niece goes to Santa, I guess, and Santa, what do you want for Christmas? Could you remove my aunties from being able to lie? She doesn't lie anymore. I, I, I mean, she, all she does is lie. She lies on her job. She lies to us. Can, can you remove the ability to lie? <coughs> Excuse me. So the rest of the movie, she's trying to lie, and now comes the truth. And, I, and of course, it turns out for good, and she probably kisses some guy in the end and under the mistletoe, and they get married. But the thing is, what if that happens in the end times? What if that happens in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne, where we've already faced the Bema seat as believers, we don't face the great white throne. They are judged by what they did. We're judged by Christ, what he did. So what if at the great white throne, they lose not the ability to lie, they lose the ability to be deceived. They lose the ability to offer excuses. Or they lose the ability to be deluded and, and they finally see truth as truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. And what if at the great white throne, it's like Auntie Holly, she no longer can lie. They no longer can lie. They no longer can, can uh, be deceived or be hardened. They're just at the truth. This, is, this is, could be how it works. Let me read to you from Revelation chapter 20. This is the great white throne judgment. And this is how I picture a possible way every knee shall bow. It doesn't go into it. It doesn't explain it. Let me just read this. Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. That's why it's called the great white throne judgment. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. How do you picture that? How do you picture this is the end of the book of Revelation, and here you go, whoa, this is heavy. Armageddon has happened. Of course, the rapture happened, the seven-year great tribulation, Armageddon, we've returned with Jesus Christ, and now a thousand-year uh, millennial kingdom has happened. This is the end of all that. And this guy on the throne, God, heaven and earth fled away. If I'm John recording this, I'm just flabbergasted, like, did, did, did that just happen? What's going on? Everything else melts. And it's us and God. It's creation or the created and God. Heaven and earth fled away. There was found no place for them. In verse 12 of Revelation 20, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. See, that's not us. Christ covered us. They're judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. So here's the thing, everything you do. You're not a believer. You gave money to the zoo, it's written in the book. You lied, it's written in the book. You picked up trash, it's written in the book. 
You cheated, written in the book. Everything written in the book. The books were opened. It's the book of life. The, the dead were judged according to their works by the things were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead, the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were among or who were in them. They were judged, each one according to his works. So at this point, right now, we can't see into eternity. We can't see the spiritual realm. But right now, all those who have died with, before believing in Christ or actually rejecting Christ, they're not in purgatory. That's something the Catholic Church made up. There's no purgatory in the Bible. There's Hades. It's a holding place. It is a place of torment and torture, but you can still remember. So in Luke chapter 16, Jesus talks about this. It's painful. You're, it's, uh, there's flames, thirsty, it's torturous. Do you understand? Some people have been there for thousands of years. All they've known is pain. Now all of a sudden, death in Hades is given up and placed before the great white throne. And I'm looking around going, oh man, I don't want any more flames in my life. I have learned my lesson. I have repented. I'm just thinking, perhaps this is how it works. And then the ability to lie, the ability to deceive, the ability to offer excuses, it's all gone. And I just see truth as it's truth, just like that movie. And it's at that point when they read everything I did wrong and I'm judged by everything, do I just go on the knee and say, Jesus is Lord? Is it one last desperate attempt to say, don't send me to the flame? Because hell, as we know it, is called the lake of fire. And it could be that this is when it takes place. I don't know. I'm just trying to, how do you figure this out? But I know if I were in that situation, which I'll never be in, I could see doing it there. No, no, no. All, all that's true. All that's true. But Jesus is Lord, and you get down on your knees, and you cry out. You say, I, I've learned my lesson. I've repented. But it's too late. So then it goes on. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first is a physical death, now it's a spiritual death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When you believed in Christ, or maybe before that, your name is written in the book of life. It's written in blood. And because of that, you will never see this. If you've spent your life rejecting Jesus Christ, you need to hear this you will face God at the great white throne judgment. You will try to plead your case. God is a just God. He'll listen. But in the end, everyone there will be thrown into the lake of fire. Is it there that one last plate? No, 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 no. Jesus is Lord. I don't know. You know, we just had a couple of funerals. Once today... We had two memorials the last couple of days. And what's quoted at a lot of funerals, and rightly so, is Revelation 21.4, where it says, uh, God will dry their last tear. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and shall there no more death, no sorrow, no crying. 
when we're in pain, rightly so. Do you ever see where it's located in the Bible? See, right now, that's four verses after people being thrown into the lake of fire. Back then, they didn't have chapter divisions and scripture, you know, sentence divisions. Those are just helpful. But back then, it was on a scroll. And so you just read. And so the end of chapter 20, and they're all thrown into the lake of fire, whose names weren't written in the book of life. And then you read about now the other guys. God dried their last tear. You can't prove this. I can't not prove it. I pray this doesn't happen, but what if we see that? What if we see people getting thrown? We're not facing the great white throne. I, I'm thinking I, I'd really like to be gone, but what if we see it? Remember like Noah and his family hearing everybody pound on the ark, let us in, let us in, and they're all dead. I don't know, it just freaks me out. If we were to see that, I would need my last tear dry. It goes on. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write, for these things are faithful and true. I don't know. I just wonder, because it's only four verses later. The fact is, I believe we'll be well aware people are just cast into the lake of fire. And it's only by the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, I wasn't. And at that point, we begin to praise him like never before. At that point, every tear will be dried. No more death, no more dying, no more pain, no more sorrow. Experiencing God this week says one of the themes, because I like to, I'm going to try and work something in from experiencing God every week. We're doing this as a church through our Ohana groups. And I find that there's, uh, I, it says God's always at work around you. Uh, I want to talk about witnessing, because knowing all this stuff, what do I do this? What do I do with this knowledge? I, I find a lot of Christians don't witness because they think it's going to take a, an hour. You don't have an hour. You have seconds sometimes. Remember my story, the guy that uh, he shared at a conference, he had a burden for Prince, or the former artist known as Prince. He had such a burden, he honed his testimony to where he knew exactly what to say, heard Prince is in town, goes to the hotel where it gets on the same elevator with Prince. You got 30 seconds. Went to the top penthouse, door opens up, Prince leaves. He got to share exactly what he needed to share about the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I find a lot of people don't do that. They're not comfortable talking about Jesus. Go to an Ohana group. A lot of Christians aren't comfortable talking about Jesus with other Christians, let alone with non-Christians. Let's get comfortable talking about him. So God's at work all around you. I'm going to share what happened to, you, to me a week ago yesterday. All right? This stuff is present tense. Because I want to be persuasive, not about food, not about what day you meet, but about Jesus Christ. And, and so a week ago yesterday, uh, my six-year-old granddaughter had a party. And I'm thinking, okay, a bunch of us are going to go out on a boat, go swimming off Waikiki. So on one hand, we're at a party, 
On the other hand, we're on a mission. Okay, I, I want to always be on mission because I know God's always at work around me and he might say, Mike, talk to that guy. So we're checking in, we're still on, on, uh, on land and there's this girl behind a little cubby thing uh, and I go, okay, there's a line behind me, I got a few seconds. Hi, I'm Mike, I'm a pastor. You go to church? You, I've shared that with you before, that's my line. It works for me because it's shocking how quickly people start sharing the truth. Quickly. She immediately goes, you know, I grew up in church. I grew up as a Christian, but lately I've been fading. All I could say in seconds was, come back. Jesus, has, he loves you. He has a, a plan for your life. He has so much more for you than you. Oh, okay. I left. So then I get on the boat with all these other people. And I mean... This guy, uh, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. I meet her boyfriend. I forgot to tell you. She goes, oh, I'm from Lake Tahoe. Okay. Uh, so I asked, I, I'm on the boat now. And I, one of the boat hands, hey, my name's Mike. I go to church. You go to church? No. Uh, where are you from? Lake Tahoe. I just met a girl from, yeah, that's my girlfriend. So what do you do with that? I said, oh, she just told me that, she grew up as a Christian, but she's been drifting from the Lord. I hope you're not the reason, are you? I'm dead serious. And he goes, I got to get back to work. God's working on you, pal. Just, uh... But then another one. Here comes another guy. And I just start sharing. You know, if you want to hear the full disclosure, Ivy, you're part of this testimony. We're going on the boat, and he's got tats all over his legs. Ivy's in the tats. She goes, hey, nice legs. Like a joke. And I go, well, I'm not going to tell you you got nice legs. So, but later on, I go up to him, hey, you, know, you do have nice legs. That's a joke. I'm not attracted to him. I'm just building a bridge. I start sharing my testimony. That's all I got. This is what Jesus means to me. Got some scriptures. His jaw drops like this. And he's looking at me, and now I know he's looking at me going, am I actually going to tell him this? Am I, he's just the whole way, he's struggling. Am I going to say this? And finally he goes, you won't believe this, but two days ago, that means um, a week ago last Thursday. Two days ago, he goes, my weakness is girls. You know, I've heard about you. I've read about people like you. Just, uh, but this girlfriend's been kind of beating me up mentally, just verbally. You're a loser, you'll never mount anything, blah, blah, blah. Two days ago, I took a gun out, put it to my head, and pulled the trigger, and it didn't go off. I said, dude, you're a miracle. You know that's a miracle. You know it means God's not done with you yet, right? And so I'm texting him now, just trying to reach that, yeah, yeah, I got to get back to the Lord. But you know, when I thought about it, everyone here is a miracle. This is not a cliche. This is a fact. Do you remember seventh grade science? <laughs> no, I tried to forget it. Every no, remember the, the thing about the, the sperm and the egg? How crazy was that? There's 29 gazillion sperm floating, you know, racing to the egg. I got this. You're going down. Just... 29 gazillion just racing, and they're all looking like baby tadpoles, right? 
Am I just, is this too much for you? And he says, and there they go, and they're off, and the race, boom, that's zygote. Remember? When it penetrates the egg, it's now a zygote. Whoa, it's all coming back, man. And this just proves out of 29 gazillion, you won. That means you're a miracle. I mean, if nothing else, can't that speak to you like, whoa, I won. I won. You're a miracle, but God's not done with you yet. You're still here. You're still here. You're still now in the back of your mind going, what am I going to present when I go before Christ at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat of Christ? When he goes, okay, Mike, I set you up for success. You were shy. You were too short, too tall, crooked nose, had a zit, whatever. What's your excuse? What, just where's the heart? I just read, I'm reading the Gospels, and again and again, Jesus had compassion. So this morning, I'm reading about um, Nain, the, the widow of Nain. There's a big person, he comes up to this town, N-A-I-N, Nain. And, and there's a procession, there's a widow, her only son, only kid died. She has no income, no way to make says, Jesus had compassion. Told her, don't weep. It's okay. Hey, kid, get up. Rose from the dead. That's the Savior we, we serve. That's the Savior we serve. When you go before Christ, you want to have something to say. You want to be able to say, you know what? I denied myself. I picked up my cross daily and I followed you. And this is what I did with the gifts you gave me, the opportunities you gave me, and, and how I prayed for direction, how I prayed for boldness. I prayed for new mercies every morning, and I received them. This is what you gave me. So Peter, last sentence he writes, 2 Peter 3.18, he's about to have his be hung, we believe. Crucified, upside down, sorry. He said, look... Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to whom be both the glory and honor now and forever. Amen. What does that mean? It means your conscience is a gift. It's supposed to, don't sin against your conscience. If it's saying something's wrong, back off. But your conscience can also grow in grace and knowledge to where if you were the Jew never had a piece of bacon in your life, to realize how complete you are in Christ, you can grow even in your conscience to where this is not an offense. It's a blessing. So grow in the grace and knowledge. Determine not to trip up anybody. I'm not here to trip you up. I'm here to build you up. Finally, you will die. You will face God. Why don't you receive him? Remember I started, I love the word receive. It suggests welcome, ekomomai. Signifies a special interest. Receive him. You know, for some of you, I don't know. I think some of you are Christians. <laughs> I'm hoping. It's a joke. I only have bad jokes. Maybe, maybe someone here is not. Maybe you've just been playing a game and you're even wondering, how did I get in this church today? But now's your chance. You're going to die and face God. 
either at the Bema Seat of Christ or at the great white throne. Give him your life now. I, I read this morning about people who rejected Christ. It's in the Gospels. Just rejected him. I don't like what he's doing. They found fault with it. They tried to do away with him. He raised his Lazarus from the dead. Let's kill him. Rather than this guy's everything he says he is. I need forgiveness. He will give it. I will give him my life. And then you follow him. You pick up your cross. You deny yourself. And you follow him. Uh, let's bow in prayer. The worship team can come back. Lord, if I blew it totally, went, said something not true, I, I pray you'd erase that. But what was of you? May you drill it home. I pray for those who are afraid and they're just not sure if they're going to make it. And in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray for the grace and the faith to receive you, to stand on your promises, to bask in your presence. Have no fear. I pray for those who don't know you at all. And if they had died last night, they were not ready. May they be ready now. If you've never received the Lord, now's the time. He says, we're all sinners. Christ died to seek us out, to find us, to forgive us. It starts with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of welcoming him in. And then you end it in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I, I love you. I want God's best for you. Uh, maybe you're tired of hearing that, but I mean it. And after, we're going to close in a, a song. After you have Uncle Manny over here. He's got free Bibles. Got a heart for people. Loves to share. So if you're saying, I think I prayed that thing. I, I, I need to get right with God. Go see him. If you're also here and you want prayer, we'll have some folks on this side ready to pray for you. Give you an encouraging scripture or two. Uh, let's stand and close in worship.